I acknowledge with gratitude that I'm a settler who lives and creates on the unceded traditional territories of the Semiamu First Nation, which lies within the shared territories of the Kwantlen, Katsi, and Stolo First Nations. Today, we're continuing my conversation with Coach Roxy Martin as we talk about her path to acceptance, her understanding of ADHD, and how she is now living an ADHD-friendly lifestyle that works for her. Welcome to the ADHD-Friendly Lifestyle. I'm your host, Moira Maben, a woman, mom, educator, and I have late-diagnosed ADHD. This is the place to practice getting rid of guilt or shame and spending more time with our strengths and passions. There are things that I wish I had known about my ADHD sooner that are allowing me to make different decisions to make my life more ADHD-friendly, and I want to share them with you. For show notes, including next steps, resources, and articles on this topic, visit ADHDFriendlyLifestyle.com. Okay, let's get started. Welcome, Roxy. Thanks, Myra. We're all people with ADHD. That small talk thing, we just had a conversation a few minutes ago about Mm -hmm. how loaded for us that how are you question Mm -hmm. is because the answer is like most people, I guess, would just say, okay, mm-hmm. right? Whereas I feel like I am compelled to tell the truth and that there's a story. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and then you were sharing that for you, it's different. It's more like there's so many different versions. It's what mm-hmm. it sounded like you were saying. Yeah. It's, you, you can ask me how I am and I'll think, well, what do you mean? Like, how am I physically? How am I emotionally? Um, how am I circumstantially like there's a w- million different ways yeah. we could go. So I, if people want me to give a really specific answer, I need, I need a really specific question. Um, and, and I, I always want to tell them how I am energetic. Okay. Okay. And, um, and so then for me, it's either like going and I don't notice, or I have a tendency to then be totally tired mm-hmm. when I'm not right. It's like that mm-hmm. on or off, not having the dimmer switch. And in seeing other people's differences, I think it helps us understand our special uniqueness. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I think I think I think so too. I think we see so much mm-hmm. of ourselves in each other in in some ways. And then we see all of these attributes that we we maybe don't possess, yeah. but we admire so much. So I know for me, it was really healing to see some of like my uh, my idiosyncrasies represented in these people because I see them and I'm like, mm-hmm. you are adorable. Like you're just adorable. And, and then it kind of made me have to look at, well, if I think they're adorable, then why is it that, you know, I want to beat the mm-hmm. crap out of myself mm-hmm. 
for these things? Like, do I want to punch them because they mm-hmm. have this mm-hmm. issue? I never do. And, and I think that that was one of the surprise gifts of, of becoming part of the coaching group is, is I didn't know, I didn't know to be proud. You know what it's actually, it makes me think of something. Um, huh, I never made this connection before, but, uh, I, I have a, a very colorful, life's life story. And one of the little pieces of my colorful life story is that, um, is that I was raised, um, thinking that I was the daughter of, of, um, a red haired freckled white guy. And then my white mom. And I found out when I was like 12 and they had long since divorced that he wasn't my dad. My, my dad was, um, a black man from, um, from Selma, Alabama. And, um, and all of a sudden I had this like, you know, uh, crisis of identity. Um, and then I said, well, you know, whatever, um, there's nothing I can do about it and I can't relate. So I'm not even going to dive into it. I'm just going to continue to sort of like whitewash myself and pass. And that's what I did. And, um, and so many years later, many, many years later, um, my daughter made a connection for me with my family. So my dad had passed that my biological father had passed away by then, but just like five years ago, actually, my daughter reached out to, um, to cousins and, and we got to connect and, um, my father was an identical twin. So my cousins are his identical twin brother's children, which DNA wise makes us siblings. And that's amazing. Cause I was an only child and I saw myself in them. I remember when I met them sitting across the table and saying, my cousin Don has my nose, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and my, my cousin Lance, you know, has the same like shaped forearm and all these things started to come together. And what happened in that moment was I took something that I didn't know very much about and had shame around because nobody had ever spoken into me all the beautiful things about who I was. And in that moment, when I, when I saw those likenesses, I started to like, feel like redemption happening. And then it shifted. I remember one time looking in the mirror later and seeing my nose that I never really had loved my nose. But when I looked in the mirror, I saw my nose, I saw Dawn's nose. I'm like, I love Dawn and I love her nose. And it was really Mm -hmm. powerful and it was really healing. And to a certain extent, that's what it was like coming into art, having all those people that I thought were awesome with the same struggles that I had. And it was being reflected back and it changed the way that I saw myself. It's changed the way that I viewed my history. And I started to feel some pride around some things that before I had only felt sort of shame and guilt and confusion. And I didn't expect that. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought that I, it was like, we all say this. I thought you were going to teach me how to plan and, you know, keep my house clean and, you know, like future mm-hmm. goals set, whatever. And that's all wonderful. And it helps a lot, but it was the self-esteem piece that I needed to be able to have this like foundation and floor that says, Hey, I deserve to have some good things. And also I'm capable of having those things if I do it my way, if I do it in a way that Mm -hmm. works for me, instead of trying to become this other person and do it their way because I see them successful. And so it just bridged, Mm -hmm. it it bridged a gap I didn't even know existed.
I understand you have a couple questions. I thought of a couple things I, I was curious about for you when I was going to bed last night. So one of the questions was if you could go back in time to erase ADHD from your story or leave it in, which would you choose and why? I, I, I can't imagine erasing ADHD from my story because it's such a huge part of who I am. And I think a lot of the things that I love about myself are related to my ADHD. So even with all the challenges it's brought, one of the things that I heard recently was, I think it was probably Dr. Hallowell, about um, helping kids name their brains. You know, do you have a fast brain, a dancing brain, a jumping jack brain, a dreamy (laughs) brain? And I was like, I have a fast brain. And I I wouldn't change that. And I wouldn't change uh, my sense of humor. And I wouldn't change my love of talking. Um, It's the understanding piece that I would want to change. But knowing the era I grew up in, I don't know if knowing then how much that would have helped. Because, you know, in the 70s and 80s, things were treated very differently than they are now. So even if, are you saying that even if you had known more, it wouldn't have necessarily made it better for you? Yeah, just, well, when I, I don't know, I'd be very curious to to talk to people who grew up in that area who did know Mm -hmm. they had ADHD, how they were treated, what it was like, um, you know, and that might inform my decision, but just, Mm um, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So for the most for the most part, you keep it because it's part of what makes you cool. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. What about you? I I don't. I was thinking about it, and part of me was like, "Oh man, can you imagine if I didn't have it, and I could just take notes, and I could just stay on one train." of thought for the whole, you know, ride to my destination, all of those things. There's a part of me that's like, oh man, you know, wouldn't that be great? Um, But the truth is, as much as I wish that by this stage in my life, I could have accomplished more, I don't think I would have wanted a different personality to Mm -hmm. do it. Like, I actually think that, that the age... I don't ever, I don't know. And I don't care which parts are like, which what's ADHD and what isn't I'm with Eric. And it's kind of like, it's all, mm-hmm. it's just all a thing. ADHD sort of informs mm-hmm. it all. It's all mm-hmm. part of who mm-hmm. I am. But I think that, um, I think it does make me who I am in the sense that, that I don't really do bullshit. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like a kid a lot of times and I get excited about silly little things and, and I don't feel like I have to, I don't know. I don't feel like I have to be the perfect grown up, And, and I don't even know what it's like to be a grown up because I have now and not now in my timeline. Like I never really, I never really see the future. It always just like shows up for mm-hmm. me. <laughs> and so even in my age, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, it's like, I, I, I'm always surprised when I, when I look at numbers and realize how old I am. And I guess this is true for 
not just for ADHDers, but neurotypicals too. But I do feel like I'm so interested in so many things that I don't get into a rut based on my age, you know? So my friends have always been all the ages Mm -hmm. and my musical interests have always been all the genres. And I think that that probably has something to do with the way that my brain works because other people my age um, who aren't, who don't have ADHD, it is different. I didn't understand why until I knew I had ADHD, but I, it's that, it's that level of passion. The way our brains work, we're either highly passionate and motivated about something, or it's really painful. We'd rather stick a fork in our eye. (laughs) And they've proven when they do, you know, functional MRIs of of people's brains that like waiting is harder for us. Like it it actually is, it takes more out of us. It takes more energy. And, and so those feelings are real. And so neurotypical people are sort of like in this middle band where it's easier to get themselves to do something they don't want to do. It doesn't take as much out of them. But the other side of it is when they, they don't have the, that intense yes. passion. And we know that when we start talking to someone who's not and their eyes can kind of glaze over and we're just like, but this, let me tell you about the thing and all every detail about the thing. Yes. And, and I'm kind of tangenting right now, but that's why I always really liked kids on the spectrum because kids on the spectrum can be so passionate about Mm. something that they love. And, you know, in my early days of my career, it would be like, oh, someone's fixating on this. And it may, you know, that may not be healthy that what they're fixating on. But how many people spend their whole lives not knowing what they're passionate about? If at seven years old, you know you're passionate about movies, and then you become an animator when you're an adult, Mm -hmm. like, how lucky is that to know that? Mm -hmm. And it's us looking at it from this, what are, are most people like? That's really hard when it's either extremely difficult to get yourself to do something, or you're way more passionate about it, and people don't understand your intensity. It's yeah, it's I think it's a part of what what makes us special in a really good way. Totally. Right. Um, But it also makes it really hard. Do you have another question, my friend? My other question was, okay. so I know you've done a whole lot of work on yourself over these past few years. And. I'm curious about the challenge that you have still mm-hmm. that feels like it's made like you so far that you feel like you've made sort of the least amount of progress on so far. Mm-hmm. I, have, I have a two-parter um, because I think my first answer might give people some hope. I didn't realize how much um, blurting, impulsively saying things mm-hmm. was a symptom of my ADHD. My mouth has often gotten me into not necessarily trouble, but sticky situations. And the hardest part is when I'm very emotional and having some sort of conflict either with my kids or, or, you know, in some relationship. And it was always so hard to not say something. Like my dad used to always say, I wanted to get the last Mm -hmm. word in. And it wasn't that. It was just that I couldn't, like it was just going to explode out of me. Um Taking a non-stimulant has completely changed that. Oh. T- taking Intiniv, so guanfacine, which helps with hyperactivity, impulsivity, um, 
there's a pause now. And hmm. that, and that's really only in, in the last six, eight months. That is huge okay. because in the moment, there's three of us in our family that are like that. Mm-hmm. And so we can start riffing off each other in not a good way. And so being able to control that um, is hugely helpful. But it was realizing that that was an issue. It was like that is an issue that is has created a lot of problems for me. And so I'm glad that recently I've got a solution for that. That's awesome. My ongoing struggle is that it's very easy for me to take myself off the list. My own health care, my own priorities for me to be my best self. And I'm a lot better at it than I, than I was. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's still been a challenging year having back surgery and recovering from that. And yeah. wanting to do more things. Like, you know how you were saying, like, there's never a shortage of wanting to do Absolutely. things. And so when I'm not good at figuring out how long things take... I'm not very good at um, being able to recognize that I'm really thinking about trying to do too much. Okay. And so I don't, the feedback, the big, the big change is the feedback loop is much shorter. So if I get off course for my health care, it's not very long before I realize that and I course correct. To what do you attribute that? The getting off course? The reduction in the length of time, the feedback loop. Really, it's just keeping doing the work, keeping the processes. It's having reminders around of what's important to me and how I want to be. And so I'm sort of getting that on a regular basis. So it's not too hard to get off course because, um, I mean, I'm taking some really big steps to, um, yes. to change this and to make my life work. Um, I never thought that mm-hmm. I would consider not teaching. Um, and, you know, to be doing that in less than a school year is a, a really huge deal. Yeah, it's um, pretty remarkable. Yeah, but um, it's exciting. Mm-hmm. What about for you? That was a very long answer I gave. No, it was a good answer. I don't remember the question. Um, what <laughs> Basically, what is still remaining a sticking point or a challenge for you with your ADHD? Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. The super short answer is going to bed, but. <laughs> I think that I am still struggling with planning for uh, more long-term goals and objectives. The problem isn't the planning. The problem is, or the challenge is the anxiety around it. Mm -hmm. And it's because I think, I mean, I'm still sort of working through the, uh, it's over. I mean, this, this word's used a lot, but there's like trauma stuff, you know, there's, it's a lifetime of Eric refers to it as death by a thousand paper cuts. And it's, there's, it's, it's, real. So, so it's the hard part is that I still, Mm -hmm. I still don't have a perfect rhythm for that. The, the encouraging part is that I now recognize that there is real anxiety 
around it. And I know how to address anxiety better than I used to. I know that I can start to speak it out, that I can start describing and narrating what I'm experiencing instead of just reacting to it without ever sort of consciously identifying that Mm -hmm. that's been really helpful. So there's some things that I'm, that I'm putting into play that are, that are helping but if I'm looking at sort of where I've made the most progress and I'm kind of like visualizing a graph, I would say really spending the time to plan ahead as opposed to plan three weeks before. See, even even three weeks before is better than I used to be. It used to be like, like, like I would do things. I would do things like this. I had a house. I was bored. I ordered same day carpet. I never even told my husband like I needed carpet, but I was watching the 1-800 get some new carpet in between my TV shows. And I told him, come on over. And I literally had carpet installed. Mm -hmm. And then after I had the carpet installed, I decided like two weeks later, I would love a puppy. And then I bought a dog. Yeah. So there, that was my planning. My planning was like, as soon as I had a thought, I I enacted the plan. So now, even if it's three weeks, that's better than it used to be. So progress over perfection. Mm-hmm. But I'm looking now to not being afraid to plan for a few years down the road because I'm trying, I'm, I'm wanting to work on not being afraid to trust myself or not being afraid to dream. Bigger issue. When you fail so much, when you see yourself as, as you know, failing over and over and over again, mm-hmm. a way to, um, lesson that misery is to quit dreaming. Mm -hmm. And I think that I got into that place where I'm like, you know what? It hurts too much to dream. So I'm not gonna. Mm -hmm. And that's probably the thing that shifted the most in the past few years with art is that it's made me braver and more willing to start dreaming again. And I'm actually starting to see some of those dreams like coming to fruition. The coaching is a, is a really big one. So I know it's possible. So I know it's happened in these other places. Um, I know it can happen with my future planning, but it's not where I'd like mm-hmm. to see it just yet. And that's, you know, yeah, like you said, progress, not perfection. Um, you know, there's, there's every, yeah. no one said we had to get it right the first time around and whether or not there's even a right, right. It's just, what it is i really mm-hmm. like the expression that um picked up it's not what's wrong it's what happened right just the ability to be curious yeah that's good in re-listening to this episode there are so many things that roxy says that i wish i had been able to take the time to say tell me more. What this means is that I will need to bring her back in the future and plan on being able to pause while we are talking and take time to explore the many interesting detours she touched on today. I hope you've enjoyed today's show and would love to hear your thoughts. To get in touch, you can write me an email at ask at ADHDfriendlylifestyle.com. Connect with me on my website, Instagram, and Facebook at ADHDfriendlylifestyle.com or Twitter at ADHDFL. Every episode has a website page with show notes, transcripts, next steps, resources, and articles related to the topic. To get these, visit ADHDFriendlyLifestyle.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, the best way is to subscribe on the podcast player of your choice and by taking the time to rate and review it there. 
And here are other podcasts for your listening pleasure. On Hacking Your ADHD, Will Curb gives tips, tools, and insights. Brendan Mahan hosts ADHD Essentials, focusing on parenting and education. Thanks for listening. See you later.